0: This episode of The Mortician's Daughter is brought to you by the Raven's Wing Magical Co. We could all use a little extra positive energy in our homes and in the world. The Raven's Wing can send some good energy right to your home with their online ordering options. Through their online store, you can find handmade body products to pamper yourself like the divine being you are. Wearable crystals and stones to add beauty and intention to every day. Herb bundles, burnables, washes, and waters— to help purify and eliminate negativity, and a whole lot more. We help make the world more magical at The Ravenswing, available online or at our stores in Portland and Oakland. Find us at theravenswing.com. Hello again, my mortal treasures. I hope you're ready for more tales of untimely ends and ghostly remnants, because we're about to embark on Part 2 of Hauntings. But before we dive in, I would like to take a moment to ask you all to like and follow The Mortician's Daughter online. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Not to mention on social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter at Death Girl. Now that's girl with no I and four R's, so put the gur in girl. You can find us on Instagram at deathgirlpod. I certainly appreciate the love, because I love you. Now, where were we? Oh yes, ghosts. Back in episode 7, we first touched upon the subject of hauntings in the United States. It's always fun to circle back, especially this time of year, because if you think about it, If you can prove the existence of ghosts, you kind of prove some sort of otherness is out there, be it afterlife, overlapping dimensions, remnant consciousness, who even knows? Whatever the case may be, ghost stories have always been a point of human fascination. Well, I'm excited. Let's dive right in. So last time we talked about homes and mansions and hotels and even a mystery house where spooky specters have been reported, but what about an entire haunted town? Well, the historic town of Avila, Missouri, located right off Route 66, is home to a number of shadow folk and the Avila Death Tree. Now let's break this down. First, we have to talk about the shadow folk or shadow people. Maybe you've seen one yourself. These shadow figures can sometimes be seen just out of the corner of your eye, or maybe moving unexpectedly among the familiar shadows of your room upon waking. Some say the shadow people are ghosts. Others claim they are echoes from an alternate universe. Some call them shadows from the underworld. While Heidi Hawley, who published a book on shadow people, believes the figures to be negative alien beings that can be repelled by various means, including invoking the name of Jesus. Anyway, Avila, Missouri has a real problem with shadow folk. They have been seen wandering the old abandoned parts of towns, empty houses, and even passing by windows. But the creepiest thing about Avila goes all the way back to the country's civil war. During the war between the states, Missouri was a border state and its loyalties were divided. Avila itself was predominantly a Union town and organized a militia to protect itself from the Confederate bushwhackers who would conduct violent raids while the young men were off fighting in the war. Now, as a reminder, this was back during the Civil War, so some militias protected against violent racists, unlike a lot of the militias we're seeing in the news these days, which are comprised of violent racists. Anyway... During one such raid, a band of Confederates attacked the home of one Dr. Stemmons, a staunch supporter of the Union and an organizer of the Home Guard. The militia did an impressive job of holding off the hundred Confederate fighters, but eventually they got close enough to set the house on fire and Dr. Stemmons was killed along with other prominent men of the village. Rather than disbanding the Home Guard after this disastrous blow, the event served only to strengthen the town's resolve to defend itself from the Confederacy and fight the succession. The town's militia regularly patrolled, later joined by actual Union soldiers, to prevent the small bands of Confederate soldiers and bushwhackers from conducting guerrilla raids on the town. The home guard even tracked down bushwhackers and killed them after they thought they had put a safe distance between themselves and the town, which earned Avila the reputation for their pioneer marksmen. One dead and unnamed rebel bushwhacker was found with a bullet hole in his head, decomposing just outside of town, so the militiamen decided to hang his skull from a tree as warning to other would-be raiders. And that's what brings us to the Death Tree of Avila. The tree where the skull was hung is said to be an apple tree that no longer bears fruit. Crows can be found perched upon its rotting branches, supposedly. And I say supposedly because no one actually knows exactly where this tree is located. But the unknown confederate who was denied a proper burial so his skull could serve as a warning to others is sometimes called the Avila phantom bushwhacker or rotten Johnny Reb. And folks say his headless body can be found wandering the woods near Vila looking for that skull or more Yankees to kill. In addition to haunted towns, there are also quite a few haunted churches in the United States. The most famous, perhaps, being the Adams Grove Presbyterian Church, a Greek revival-style church built in rural Alabama back in 1853, right alongside a cemetery. The last congregation held inside the building was back in 1974 and the church is currently privately held but was listed on the National Registry of Historic Places back in 1986 and remains there today. Visitors claim to have seen a Confederate soldier warning off trespassers at the graveyard and the church's former minister can be seen inside through the windows of the abandoned church just before a thunderstorm. Maybe a church attached to a cemetery seems like a rather obvious place for a haunting, but what about a road? I guess when you consider that 1.25 million people a year die in car accidents, and you have to think that most of those are tragic and unexpected, two common prequalifiers for the trappings of a ghost in this world, maybe it's not so weird to think about a haunted road. A roughly 10-mile stretch of Clinton Road in West Milford, New Jersey, has led to all sorts of tales of ghostly apparitions from travelers. And in this 10 miles, you can find an abandoned ironworks, a stone bridge haunted by the ghost of a drowned boy, and something called Dead Man's Curve. According to Wikipedia, Clinton Road has been a place for gatherings of witches, Satanists, and the Ku Klux Klan, although I do want to add those three things definitely shouldn't be grouped together like that. But all that aside, even mafia hitmen have been known to dispose of bodies in the woods surrounding this 10-mile stretch of New Jersey's Clinton Road. I think it should also be noted that lots of towns across the country, and perhaps around the world, might know of a stretch of road the locals call Dead Man's Curve, or something like that, because, as mentioned, driving can be dangerous, and there's nothing quite like a blind curve, a moonless night, and a desolate stretch of road to lead travelers to their doom. Okay. For our next stop, let's head to the ski town of Aspen, Colorado, where Pioneer Park, also known as the Henry Weber House, can be found on West Bleecker Street. The man responsible for the house's construction, Henry Weber, was a shoe merchant who grew wealthy off of mining investments during Colorado's silver boom. But his life turned to tragedy, and some would argue it was a bit of karmic retribution. You see, Henry Weber's wife, Harriet, died under questionable circumstances of an overdose of scrychnine, which was used at the time to calm the nerves. Her last words, Henry will know, left the town speculating that he had a hand in her demise, either directly or indirectly, when she learned of her husband's affair with her own niece, Julia. In fact, in the weeks following her death, Weber cast aside propriety— and married his dead wife's niece. The Webbers did not exactly get to enjoy a long and happy life together once Harriet was out of the way. In their home together at Pioneer Park, doors and windows would slam, and they often heard footsteps and other strange sounds. The couple said they felt a strange presence in the house, and, quote, there was often an overwhelming feeling of sadness in certain places, end quote and that was often attributed to the first Mrs. Weber. And the second Mrs. Weber started to show signs of madness herself. When the home was sold after Henry Weber died in 1911, the new owners reported similar unexplained phenomenon, and then the new owners after them. I hope the current owners are enjoying a bit of reprieve from all those spooky happenings. Let's head to another spot in Colorado, the Stanley Hotel, built by Freeland Oscar Stanley of Stanley Steamer, and opened on the 4th of July in 1909. Is it built by Stanley or for Stanley? I mean, he's the one who commissioned its construction, but he probably didn't build it. So, built for or by? I'm losing focus here. Okay, Stanley Hotel, built by for Freeland Oscar Stanley of the Stanley Steamer Company, and opened on the 4th of July in 1909. It is by and large agreed upon that this is one of the spookiest hotels to stay at, depending on what room you pick. But the arguments behind this spookiness vary. So, for those not yet acquainted, the Stanley Hotel is the inspiration for The Shining by Stephen King. The story goes back in 1974, King and his wife decided to make a quick getaway to the hotel just as it was getting ready to close for the winter season. The guests had gone, and only a skeletal crew remained to close up, but they let the couple stay for the weekend. As the only paying guests, they were given room 217, the presidential suite. The mythology of Stephen King tells us he had a nightmare in the room that night about his son being chased down the corridor of the hotel. He woke up in a panic and went outside to smoke a cigarette. It was then that he began to weave the web of The Shining. Of course, in the novel, the Stanley Hotel is called the Overlook Hotel, but King has been quick to make the attribution in interviews. Now, whether or not the Stanley Hotel inspired an eerie sensation in visitors before the notoriety of the book and the movie came to pass remains in question, but there are now several ghost stories circulating about the hotel. Thankfully, none involve little girls, or twins for that matter. After F.O. Stanley's death in 1940, some say his apparition has appeared to guests at the reception desk. His wife, Flora, a pianist, hasn't been seen, but some at the hotel have reportedly heard the tinkling of piano keys. I'm just hoping that's Flora's ghostly twist on the old adage, women should be seen and not heard. There's also a chambermaid named Elizabeth Wilson who purportedly lurks about the hotel in ghostly form. She enjoys hovering, walking through closed doors, and wedging her cold, noncorporeal body between unmarried cohabitants of the same bed during the night. She dislikes vacuum cleaners and loose morals and has an antiquated value system. I should mention that while it seems to be true that a Miss Elizabeth Wilson worked for the Stanley Hotel while she was alive, she did die in her own home and not on the grounds. But maybe her spirit got up and went to work the next day. The ghost of Elizabeth Wilson seems partial to room 217, the same room Stephen King stayed in. I should also mention that room 217 exploded in the 1920s due to a gas leak. Now, no one died in this explosion, but the room did get taken out. Wilson was supposedly injured during this incident and recovered from her injury, and then she returned to work. Anyway, stories are weird, the truth gets muddled with the fiction, and it's hard to tell where one begins and the other ends. Of course, the legacy of The Shining overshadows all, and it's hard not to suspect there is some bleed over. But then again, maybe it was the ghost that put those nightmares in Stephen King's head all those years ago. Visitors to the Stanley over the decades have claimed all sorts of strange occurrences, from creepy laughter and flickering lights to mysteriously moving objects and more. You better book out if you want a chance at staying in room 217, however. Although, it should be noted, most of the real ghost activity is said to take place on the fourth floor. So if you're visiting in hopes of a supernatural experience and it's not just a Stephen King or Stanley Kubrick thing, Book a room on the fourth floor, if you're brave enough, that is. According to Stephanie Earls of Out There, Colorado, overnight visitors opting in for the ghost adventure package are assigned a room on the infamous fourth floor, a pocket-sized electromagnetic field reader, and other ghostly graft, including a mug bearing the chilling message, Red Rum, Murder Spelled Backward that King's novel contributed to the cultural lexicon. I don't know about you, but the commemorative coffee mug makes the experience seem less scary. Well, that's our time for today, and I promised to be brief after I inundated you with some very important information in our last episode. I hope you all took some time to ruminate on your final wishes. Until next time, I'll be doing my best to revel in cooler days and longer nights as we move through autumn toward winter. I suggest you do the same. There's a metaphor in nature. Or something. Thanks for listening. This episode was written and narrated by me, Carly Shoreman. For those interested, you can find links to my other work, including my forthcoming novel, on my website, themaladyoflanguage.com. Special thanks to the Raven's Wing Magical Co. for sponsoring this episode. And thank you to Mark Anderson and Yabium Music and Arts for producing the show. Until next time, my devilish darlings, stay safe and be courteous to each other in this cruel world. Squabbles aside and it's time.